sense of that song. Such a, a beautiful reminder of the grace of God. Well, it's good to be back in the pulpit. I miss being here. Uh, I went through pulpit withdrawal. I uh, tried making one like a sandcastle. It just didn't work. It's not the same. I love seeing your faces. Let's take our Bibles and we'll turn to Galatians chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verses 6 through 10. Galatians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. You know, as with so many of Paul's letters, we find in this text that Paul is having to deal with false teachers. As you remember, in verses 1 through 5 of the second chapter, Paul had concluded this part of the text with verse 4 that spoke of how the matter, and the matter that he was speaking of, of course, was confusion concerning the gospel. And he says, the matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on our freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Now, what were these infiltrators doing? They were sowing the seeds of confusion and vital in what they were sharing this confusion in. The gospel. You know, God gave us the gospel so that it could be simple enough for a child to understand. But unfortunately, sometimes people come in and they try to complicate it. They try to make it something so confusing that all we do is argue about what it is and what constitutes it. So that brings us to a question. How do we determine what the gospel is? How do we really understand what constitutes the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do we go to our favorite teacher and say, well, because this man is so respected, because he has a lot of letters behind his name, I will hear what he has to say, and he's going to be my standard for what the gospel is? Well, no. Well, how about this? Why don't we take a poll of all Christians? Polls are pretty important right now politically. Let's look at it as far as coming to a decision on the gospel. So let's take a poll and we'll see what all of the Christians come together and say, and that will be our gospel. No. You don't look for following the crowd. You don't look for something that's politically correct. We have to go to the source to find the gospel, and the source is the Word of God. And that's the point that Paul brings out in all of Galatians. God spells out for us how we have a relationship with Him. It's not like God is trying to make it complicated so that somehow people will miss out. God loves us. He wants us to understand the gospel. He doesn't want it to be veiled or hidden we're told in the New Testament that God takes the gospel and He makes it plain so that we can understand, so that we can come into a relationship with Him that He desperately wants. The last thing God wants to do is confuse the gospel. So why so much confusion in Paul's day? And why so much confusion even today? Very often you'll go to places to hear the gospel and it will air in one of two ways. One is an all-inclusive gospel to where everyone makes it. No one misses out on being with God. 
The other is the error that makes it so complicated and so difficult and you have to jump through all of these hoops in order to have a relationship with God that we're completely confused as to whether we make it or not. God shares with us the very truth of the gospel. And that truth is that when we come to the place to where we recognize we're sinners, that Jesus Christ died in our place, that when we trust that sacrifice of Jesus Christ, turning from our sin to God, counting on what He provided for us, that we have eternal life. We express that through faith. Works do not enter in. They are the result of God transforming us. They don't cause that transformation. They are the result of it. That is the gospel. Now what we find with these false teachers who had crept into the church is this. The false teachers were doing anything that they could to discredit those who were sharing the gospel. And what we find here in this second chapter, starting at the sixth verse, is Paul's defense. He's sharing with us the defense of the fact that God had called him to share the gospel. He wanted people to understand that these weren't things that he had made up. We saw that in the first chapter. But that these were things that the entire church was in agreement on. Because it is the basis for which we have that relationship with God. So what we're going to see this morning is this defense that Paul gives. And what we're also going to see are some important perspectives that we need to have as Paul gives this defense. The first perspective that we need to have is the fact that we shouldn't elevate men above the Word of God. Very important perspective to grasp. And then secondarily, we're going to see this. That God calls different people to different ministries when it comes to the Gospel. Some will go to one group, others will go to another, but it's the same God who works in them all to spread His Word. And that's what we want to see this morning as we look at this text. Now let's look at the first point. The idea that we aren't to elevate men above God's Word. And by the way, if you're new to our church, there's an outline in the bulletin, and there's fill in the blanks. The reason we have Differing colored words is because that's what goes in the blank. I try to make it simple for you and me. (laughs) But here's the idea. Sometimes as people, we show partiality. We will find a favorite teacher. We'll find that person that we look at and say, this person knows everything. I can count on everything that they say. And we'll flock to them and we'll listen to what they have to say and exclude anybody else from the mix. And that is what the false teachers were playing on when it came to Paul. In the early church, the people that everyone looked to were the original disciples. As we know, the Lord had called the Apostle Paul after those original disciples. And He had called him to share the Gospel And he had shared the gospel primarily with Gentiles. Now, this was really outside the box. People couldn't understand that. Why would God call this person after the original 12 disciples who followed him? And why would he have them go to the Gentiles? It didn't make sense. It didn't fit the model. So since it didn't make sense and it didn't fit the model, that gave fertile ground to the false teachers to come in and start sowing seeds 
of doubt. They would say, look, Paul's too late to the game. Don't listen to what he has to share. We know because we were originally in Jerusalem and now we've come here to the outskirts to talk to you and we're telling you don't follow what Paul says, follow what we say. We have the endorsement of the church there in Jerusalem. This is their claim. Now here's the unfortunate truth. False teachers don't care to lie. Kind of goes with the word false, doesn't it? They didn't mind telling people that they had the endorsement of the church when in reality they didn't. Anybody can come in and name drop, right? Have you ever been in a situation where someone told you so-and-so said, and then when you go and you speak to so-and-so, that isn't what they said at all? You can misrepresent. And that's what these people were doing. So what did Paul do? Paul went to the source. Look at verse 6. As for those who seem to be important, whether they, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearances. Those men added nothing to my message. You know what he's saying? What he's saying, first of all, is this. Look, Galatian church. Don't judge what is said by who said it. I don't care if someone has a reputation of being an important person in the church. Don't follow the man. Consider the message. The message has to match up with the Word of God. I don't care who the man is. He doesn't trump what the Word of God says. And that's vital for us to understand. When I was in seminary, there was a professor who was a brilliant Old Testament scholar. He wrote many books that were used in the seminary. Just the most brilliant man. People kind of considered him the E.F. Hutton of the Old Testament. But something happened. His wife contracted cancer, died, and then he went off the reservation. He started sharing all kinds of unusual ideas. He started sharing a works-type salvation. He started going into the idea that we need to observe the Old Testament law in order to have a relationship with God. He was dismissed from the seminary. He started a church. And the church became a cult. Now, early on in his ministry, if you would have said he's going to do this, people would have said, no way. He's too educated. He teaches the Word too well. It's impossible. But what happened? He left the teachings, the fundamental teachings of the Word of God, infused them with human opinion, and unfortunately, many people followed him rather than the Word of God. Never do that. Never follow the person. Always look to see is what is being shared. Does this match up with God's Word? God's Word has to take precedence. So for the Apostle Paul, as he was going to these apostles, it wasn't a matter of him coming in and saying, I'm afraid to go before these men. It was him coming in and saying, I have complete confidence to go before these men because we share the same gospel. 
based on the Word of God. And you know, we should never take people and put them on a pedestal. We shouldn't elevate people in that way. It only leads to division, strife, and error. You know why? If I take people and I elevate them and I say that this person is really it, they really understand it, and then somebody else over here says, well, you know, I really like this teacher. This teacher over here is the one that I like. It leads to division, doesn't it? It leads to a place to where we'll argue about who's right and what nuance they have of Scripture is right. And that's wrong for us. We're not to judge by the externals as to how many letters they have after their name. We're not to judge by the size of a person's church. None of those things matter when it comes to following the truth of God. God's truth is based on adherence to His Word. And that's it. That's the standard. If we want to be right, we will follow the standard of God's Word, His truth, and that will be it. We as human beings have this temptation to become competitive, to go against one another, to say that one person is more important than the other. The Apostle Paul right here in this sixth chapter said, that's unimportant. It made no difference to me who they were. What made a difference to him was what they said. Does it match up with the Word of God? Look at the statement he makes here in this sixth verse as well. In addition to saying, whatever they were makes no difference to me, he says, God does not judge by external appearance. What does that mean? Very much like what I've been talking about. God doesn't look at whether or not they're polished and articulate. You know, I've heard some wonderful speakers who will speak and move a crowd, and you say, wow, that's a great speaker. And then someone says, yeah, what did they say? I have no idea, but man, it was great. (laughs) You know? That's the approach that we can take. It's not the delivery. I've heard some people that were as dry as a desert when they speak, but they had content. And you walked away having learned something. God doesn't look at the externals. God looks at the heart. Remember the story of David? Samuel had been sent to the house of Jesse to find the next king. Each one of David's siblings comes marching out and they're big, strong, strapping young men. And Each one they look at, they say, surely this is it. This guy looks like a king. They go through all of them. No king. Remember what happened? David, this ruddy kid that's out watching the sheep, they call him in from the fields, and he's chosen. The last person that you would have looked at and said, here's our king. And then we find this in the book of Samuel. The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Now this is speaking of one of the Fairer brothers. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's how God judges. 
And we're to look at the heart that is directed toward the gospel, toward the word of God. Not on the externals, but on who they are because they follow God's truth. Look at the next statement here in the sixth verse. After Paul makes the statement, God does not judge by external appearance, he makes this statement. Those men added nothing to my message. Now here he's not being mean. He's not saying they couldn't add anything to my message. You know what he's saying? He's saying we share the same gospel. To add to the gospel really takes away. The gospel that Paul was giving was the complete gospel. They could count on it. That's what would lead them to salvation. They didn't need to do anything else. So what he was saying to the Galatians is this. Look, the way I told you as to how to be saved, that's how. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away. As a matter of fact, look at the first chapter, the eighth verse. It says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Paul was saying, don't change the gospel. It's by the word of God. So don't play with it. Don't change it at all. That's important for us to understand. Whenever we hear someone that comes and says, I have this to add to the basics of the gospel. Reject it. God's word gives us the truth. And that truth is revealed by a God who loves us and wants us to know him. Now as we go on in the text, we come to verses 7 and 8. God shows no partiality. But we see in this text also that God selects and empowers people for service. When the Apostle Paul came on the scene, he was sharing the gospel not because man had called him to or man had encouraged him to. He was sharing the gospel because God had selected him to do so. Look at the seventh verse. On the contrary, they saw that I was entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. Now, what is he saying? What Paul is saying very basically is this. God had called him to share his truth. It wasn't because someone twisted his arm. It wasn't because he was trying to imitate someone else. It was because God had called him. And I want you to look carefully at the seventh verse because it says, they saw that I was entrusted with the gospel. Now, who's the they? The they are the other apostles who were there in Jerusalem. Remember, as Paul writes this, he was in Jerusalem. He was giving an explanation of his gospel to the apostles who had been with Jesus Christ. And so when he says... They saw that I was entrusted with the gospel. What he's saying is there is agreement between me and the leadership of the Jerusalem church as to what the gospel is. And what he's saying is this. God entrusted this to me. It wasn't given by man. It wasn't given by anyone else. God gave it to me so that I could share it with others. It is based on the word of God. That's what made Paul right. But I want you to look at something else. 
The seventh verse goes on to say, He had been entrusted to preach the gospel to the Gentiles just as Peter had been to the Jews. Now, we draw from this an important insight. The Apostle Paul and Peter and some of the other disciples who were followers of Christ, they were doing the same thing, sharing the gospel, but there were differences in their target audiences. And that was by God's design. Here's the problem. If we all have the same target audience that we share the gospel with, only one sliver of humanity hears the truth. One of the beauties of a church is the diversity of the people. Some of you are construction workers, so you have a mission field. A mechanic has a mission field. Office workers, mission field. The target groups that you'll share the gospel with will differ from group to group. Your neighbors, your family, different groups that you'll share the gospel with. But here's the thing. We can't look at our group as more important than the others. We can't isolate and say this is the only group that ought to be addressed. Here, the Word of God is reminding us that even in the early church, God was calling the apostles and Paul and others to differing areas of ministry. And this is a very biblical concept. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, We're reminded of this when it says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. Now look at the last part of this statement. But the same God works all of them and all men. Here's the idea. When Paul was going to the Gentiles, it was of God. He shared the gospel that God had given him. When Peter went to the Jews, it was of God. He shared the same gospel that God had given him. They were together sharing the same gospel because it came from the same God, but the same God was working through each of them uniquely and individually. We need to understand that it's not the person, it's not even the ministry that's really important. It's God who works in them. That's what really counts. This is brought out as well earlier in the book of 1 Corinthians. There was a division in the church at Corinth because some of them were saying, you know, Apollos, best teacher that ever came along. Paul, he's just a schlub. He doesn't speak nearly as well as Apollos. So other people were coming in and saying, you know, Paul, man, he's the missionary, the church planter. We wouldn't be here if he hadn't come through. Apollos... He's nothing. Paul's the one that really counts. I want you to look at the perspective that Paul shares with us in this text. What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Now, look at that part. As the Lord has assigned to each his task. Here in Galatians chapter 2, verse 7, God had entrusted the gospel to Paul. God had entrusted the gospel to Peter. God assigns the tasks. 
Then in verse 6, it goes on to say, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. That's what we need to understand as far as ministry. We have a big God. He has a wonderful gospel. He shares it in different ways through different people. And here's the thing. As long as they're sharing the true gospel, the gospel that matches up with the Word of God, they should have our support and encouragement. That's what Paul was trying to drive home to the people that were in Galatia. But it's what God would tell us today as well. We're not all called to be the same. And you know, I think this expands beyond churches. Sometimes we'll look at a church that does something a little different than we do it, but they preach the true gospel. Don't be hard on them. Don't disparage them. One time I was driving from West Virginia back to Chicago. It was during the time of my father's sickness just before his death. And I was listening to a preaching broadcast as I was going through Kentucky. And this pastor just vilified Billy Graham. He talked about how bad Billy Graham was and just raked him over the coals on public airwaves. And I thought as I heard that just before my hand went to change the channel because I was getting too angry to drive, what have you just done as far as a person hearing one of Billy Graham's broadcasts and maybe hearing the gospel given by this godly man who had won so many to Christ. What are you doing? We like to take God and put him in a box. We like to take God and say, you know, God, you will only do things my way, of course, because my way is the right way. We judge by the gospel. Is what they're saying something that matches up with what God has given? Now, as we continue in the text, we come to verse 9. And when we come to verse 9, we find a continuation of this thought that God calls differing people to differing ministries. We can't expect that all people will have the same mission. And as we look at this text, we find that we should support those who are called to differing ministries. Look at the ninth verse. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, in other words, those who had the reputation of being pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Now, what is he saying? In order to understand this text, we have to understand what the right hand of fellowship was. Fellowship communicates participation, sharing in something. And a very public demonstration of their unity was the right hand of fellowship. Had Paul had a gospel other than the gospel given by Jesus Christ, they could not have given him the right hand of fellowship. They couldn't have shared in their work together. And you know, this is a good principle for us. We cannot share in ministry 
with a church or group that doesn't share the same gospel that we share. We can't participate and share in that because there's too significant a difference. The early church of Jerusalem recognized that there was unity in the gospel, so they extended the right hand of fellowship, and they said, we are in agreement, we will work together. You share with the Gentiles, we share with the Jews, but we're all in this together, and we have unity as a result. And this is such an important text for us to understand because of this, because sometimes we get locked in to a particular aspect or facet of ministry, and that becomes the end-all, be-all of everything that we have. You know, early on, in the first church that I served in full-time, there was disagreement in the women's ministries. We had a group of older ladies that were locked on to missions. And they would come together and they would make collections for the missionaries. They would roll bandages. They would do all kinds of things to send it off to the mission field. And for some reason, the younger women in the church didn't necessarily attend to that. Then we had a younger group of women who reached out to young women in the community by inviting them to come to a Bible study for young moms, teaching them how to raise their kids, but more importantly, teaching them the gospel, and many people were coming to Christ. And so what happened? The older women looked at the younger ones and said, you have no concern for missions. The younger women looked at the older women and said, you have no concern for the lost that are right here among us. And they were both going at it, trying to make the other party feel guilty. Guess what? God had important use for both. So as you feel called to work with the missions group, work with them. And as you feel called to work with the younger outreach right here in the community, work with them. But don't compete. Don't look at one and say, you're no good because you're not doing what I'm doing. And that's important for us to understand right here in this text. That's very much what Paul was talking about. Verse 9, it says that they were given the right hand of fellowship because there was a recognition on the part of the leadership that God had called them by His grace. As you see a ministry in the church or outside the church that maybe you don't feel a burden for, don't look at them and dismiss them. Understand we have a big God. And He works through many people to reach the lost. Support them. Pray for them. Encourage them. That's our job. Show a unity with them. Show them the right hand of fellowship. That's what God would call us to do. You know, it's important for us to understand that God wants us to tear down walls, not build them up when it comes to the gospel. Turn over to the third chapter or look at the screen and look at what Paul says becomes truth for those who place their faith in Jesus Christ. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. 
For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Then look at verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The message that Galatians is getting across is this. Those long-standing divisions of the first century between Jews and Gentiles, no longer relevant. In Christ Jesus, He's concerned for all of them. We should be too. Don't isolate. Don't come to the place to where you say, it's my area of interest and that's it. Understand that God works differently through different people. And support that. Final thought. We should support those who are called to different ministry, but we should also supply the needs of those who are in need. Look at the closing thought that we find in this text in verse 10. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now here, the Apostle Paul had probably come to see these disciples because he was bringing a gift from the churches in the area of the Galatians to the Jerusalem church. Historically, here's what happened. Because in Jerusalem, when a person turned to Jesus Christ from Judaism, they were rejected by the community. They were put out of the synagogue. Now, being put out of the synagogue didn't just mean you can't come and worship here anymore. It meant people were no longer allowed to trade with them. It meant that their families would disinherit and disown them. So what it meant was their coming to Christ brought a great deal of personal and financial difficulty into their lives. They were hurting because of that. Here, the churches of Galatia were taking up offerings, sending it to the believers who were in need in Jerusalem and supporting them. It was important to them that they encourage these brothers and sisters in Christ. And we know this because Acts chapter 11 says this, the disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help to the brothers living in Judea. They did this sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, you'll notice Barnabas and Saul were given the right hand of fellowship here. So these are the passages that sort of match up between Galatians and the book of Acts. So what we see in this text, as Paul is reminded, remember it says, remember the poor. In other words, continue to do what you're doing. It was important for the early church because there was a sense of unity that was developed. As these Gentile churches gave of the money that God had entrusted to them, and as they supported the work of ministry somewhere else, what do you think that did as far as the Jewish believers' attitudes toward the Gentiles? Radically changed it. They looked and they said, if these people who we formerly rejected, who we formerly called dogs, if they can love us enough to support us in our need, then they're truly our brothers. And there's unity. You know what it did? It enlarged the vision of the church. It helped them to understand there are people outside our circle who are followers of Jesus Christ 
that are just as much a part of the family of God as we are. You see, it's too easy to become isolated in our thinking and to say, we're the only church, we're the only group of believers. It's easy to forget that there are believers all over the place who are followers of Jesus Christ. And if all we're doing is thinking about our small local fellowship, we've got blinders on. We're thinking too small. As a matter of fact, the Galatian church developed a reputation for supporting. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. You see what Paul's doing here? In the book of 1 Corinthians, he's holding up the Galatians as an example. And what were they example of? On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. It was a broadening of their understanding that ministry is much bigger than our local church or even our local region. It's also something that crosses ethnic bounds. It's something that crosses every boundary. Because when we share the gospel, we're sharing that truth that transforms lives. And we need to not be so narrow in it, but to expand. This passage of Scripture applies to missions. It applies to local evangelism. It applies to brothers and sisters in Christ who attend different churches. We should embrace them if they follow the same gospel. And that's the truth that we need to take away from this. God's gospel is what determines whether a person is a follower of Jesus Christ. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this text. And we thank you for the reminder that it is to us.